Your property podcast comes to you with thanks to our friends at Trafalgar Square Finance, leading independent specialists in mortgages and all types of property finance. Whether it's buy-to-let, development or bridging finance, Trafalgar Square can help you organise your funding for your next property project. Exclusively to listeners of Your Property Podcast, Trafalgar Square offer a free one-to-one consultation. So whether you are a portfolio landlord looking to raise funds on your existing portfolio, or if you're just starting out and want to find out if you are eligible for a buy-to-let mortgage, Trafalgar Square Finance can help. It's easy to book with one of their experienced consultants by simply visiting yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash finance. You can find this link in the show notes for more details. Hello and welcome to Your Property Podcast. My name is Michelle Cairns, your host for today. And today is the 12th of or 12th of July. I wasn't sure what month it was then. 12th of July, 2022. And with us, we've got Stuart Yardley from Trafalgar Square. Hi, Stuart. Hi there. Great, thank you. It's great to have you on board, especially as uh, your company, Trafalgar Square, you work for, is one of our sponsors for the podcast as well. So people have just heard a little intro about that. So that's a good starting point um, for us today. And today we're going to be talking about the mortgage, you know, mortgage updates, where we are in the market at the moment, obviously. Uh, you know, the residential market is still quite strong in terms of sales. And although there's lots of talk of recessions and, uh, you know, uncertainty at the moment as it stands, um, you know, the houses are still selling. So um, do you want to tell us a bit about, you know, um, what you guys do and and what's, you know, you just said there that things are a bit all over the place at the moment. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, I'll give you obviously a bit more overview about ourselves. I mean, we're independent mortgage brokers. Um, we've been, as you've probably seen me writing in the sort of YPN, been writing for, been working with investors for 16 years, helping people build portfolios. So it's what we do day in, day out. Probably a little bit different to a normal mortgage broker who maybe will do sort of 80% of their business on, um, you know, residential. Out of probably 80, 85% of my business is with investors. So it's, working with investors from day one when they start out, being part of their property journey and more part of the actual um, business. So we're looking at things differently. We're looking at it from a strategic point of view of finance. We kind of come up with like, right, what's your finance strategy? What are you trying to get into? Do you want to look at single family buy-to-lets? Do you want to go into HMOs? Do you want to go to more specialist lettings? So that's where we can actually help. Um, it's what we do day in, day out. So we understand that market. Yeah, so, so if, people are, if people are starting their journey and, you know, their property journey, they're looking to buy their first property, whether that's a single let or HMO, um, you know, what are the common misconceptions that you find people have about starting out? Um, most people, it's, it's, I think a lot of it is around what do you need to provide? What can I buy? I mean, there's a lot of, I go through a, a few sort of stages generally for people and it's around what we tend to do is we have a general initial sort of, chat around finance things like that and then we talk around more sort of strategy of okay preparation is key when you're looking for finance really that is the key thing for it is around making sure that you know when you find a property you're already in that position where it's like phone comes on to me email to me Stuart offer's been accepted 
how do I finance it? What are we going to do? Let's make a plan. And I've already got enough information. Let's go through the, as, the, as with a lot of things these days, there's a lot of compliance, paperwork, getting prepared, fact finds, privacy notices, documentation, supporting documentation. So the earlier you kind of get that done, the better it is, we believe, for people, really. That is the kind of thing. So engaging with your broker as early as possible so you, you are well prepared. Because it does take a little bit of time to put together that sort of paperwork. And, yeah. you know, if you're under pressure from an estate agent wanting proof of funds, letters, wanting all these sort of things, and you're only just starting out, you could lose a deal over it. Yeah. So the more you prepare up front, the better it is. I, mean, I think a lot of people, it's around, the initial sort of chats I have with people is about around more sort of, can I do this? Can I do a HMO? Yeah. You know, can I, um, I want to buy this property, add some value, refinance. How does it work? And it's yeah. just, and I think a lot of the questions I get, the first question I get is, should I do limited company or or personal names? And they're like, we're not tax advisors. You know, that's before you come to, you know, not before you come to me, but that's a key question. We can have a chat first, but engage with a tax advisor, find out what's best for you. I can work both ways. If you tell me the tax, the accountant said it's limited company, I'll put together a finance strategy that works for you for what you're trying to achieve with limited company. If they said it's personal names, we do it that way. It's a, it really doesn't matter from our point of view. We can work either way. Um, so I think the, the initial sort of starting out when people come to approach us is about, I think people just want that initial call. And once they've made that call and that little bit of comfort of, yeah. I'm talking to someone who understands what I'm trying to achieve. Yeah. Um, I do get I do get those sort of conversations from clients saying, oh, I spoke to my existing broker mm-hmm. who really only just does residential. And they're like, well, no, you, it won't work for you not worth doing sort of thing and put them off a little bit yeah. so I think it's nice and sometimes some bro- some sort of clients come to me and say yeah it's nice to speak to someone who understands that market yeah that's really important and obviously because you have worked with the magazine and you're involved in the property education world you are aware of uh, let's say more creative strategies and uh, you know uh, uh, different ways of going about um, purchasing property that uh, yeah know, exactly, red, red exactly. we do we do a lot of you know clients come to us and you know people are looking to buy properties uh, the, the, the biggest sort of challenge a lot of people find is that they, if the investor is trying to find a property to add a lot of value to to refinance and straight away most of those properties aren't lettable day one so yeah. it's about how do you purchase it then you can look at things like right okay let's look at some more specialist products there's more flexible the sort of like so the bridging the short-term finance yeah. Um, we can look at bridge to let sort of products for clients as well. And it's about, again, when I'm looking at it, it's not just a case of a bridge. Oh, we're going to put, you know, put bridge to buy this property because it's not lettable. It's about, right, what exits have we got? How many exits have we got based on your circumstances? And making sure that you're not, you know, if someone, if I look at a deal and someone had one the other day, came to me and said, I can do this and it would be a bridge purchase, but we're extremely limited on exits for you because of what you're trying to do. And there's too many unknowns. There's too many variables because it would be subject to valuers comments. There were other situations regarding the property that were a little bit unknown at this stage. And I was kind of, look, this is very high risk. You know, I wouldn't be comfortable putting you into a bridge on this because you could be stuck in it for a while while you're sorting out all the problems with the property. And so that's, that's really where, you know, there's different sort of strategies and that's where we come into it. And if, if it's, you know, every client has their different sort of um, risk profile as well. Some are quite happy to 
actually, Stuart, I want to buy this property. It's lettable day one. I'm just going to do a like, bit of a paint fix, clean on it, a bit of a bathroom, and maybe pull out a little bit of money in six months' time on a further advance. And then I'll review it again in a couple of years' time. Or others are, again, around, look, it's actually okay at the moment. I've got a tenant. There's a tenant in there at the moment. I'm going to leave it for a couple of years. Let's just get a deal where I can just leave it for a couple of years and then we'll look to refinance and pull some more money out at that point. Yeah, let's just jump into a few that you've touched on a few different scenarios there. So let's let's jump into a few and, and to see how that is operating at the moment. So you mentioned there about adding value. So the typical flip or buy, uh, refurbish, refinance. So, uh, and you're, you're right there, um, a common um, sort of misconception is that people think they can get a mortgage on a property that's unmortgageable um and yeah. and then so do you want to just explain the difference between getting a standard mortgage for a property an investment mortgage or you know uh, buy that mortgage versus bridging because i think you know for a lot of people they don't know that difference in the lending. yeah yeah certainly i mean the the, the key thing i mean it, it's sometimes there are some of these sometimes these borderline properties where it's a judgment call but a lot of the time especially if the epcs are fail and it can't be let day one you're not going to get a buy-to-let mortgage on it. It's got to be, if you're going for a buy-to-let mortgage day one, they're going to send a value around who's basically got to say that property is basically lettable in its current condition. So you could put it on the open market and get a tenant in there. Um, Some valuers, like any sort of human being, some are a little bit more flexible, will say, okay, well, I know they can do that quickly and it will be okay. Others are, it's not lettable straight away. You know, so... If something's clearly got no kitchen, no bathroom, um, it's not lettable, or it's got damp problems, that's one of the big areas, rising damp, penetrating damp, things like that. It's it's clearly not lettable day one. Then you would be looking at the sort of short-term bridging finance, cash or bridging to purchase, do all your work, and then refinance to a mortgage once it's all done up. Yeah, and that also includes if you're planning to rip everything out. So even if it's got a perfectly good kitchen and bathroom, if you're planning to go back to brick and rip everything out, then you do need that bridging finance. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's then if what the, the lenders generally say, if you if you're going to be doing a light refurb to it, you know, just going in, new carpets, painting it, cleaning it, and then ten renting it out, they're comfortable, that's fine. But if it's a case of you're doing any major work, structural alterations. They wouldn't lend on it day one anyway, so you would be looking at the bridging side of things. Yeah, and the difference between the bridging, uh, the cost of bridging finance versus a mortgage. Obviously, bridging you're just using for short term, and then you go on to a long term mortgage product. Yes, yeah, yeah. The key thing really there is, um, I mean, it used to be you've got two different types of lenders. You've got some of the mainstream lenders. Who are, pro- who are strict on, you have to have owned a property. So say if you bought it, either cash or bridging, you have to have actually owned it for six months before they would refinance it onto a buy-to-let mortgage. There are lenders now, um, the more specialist lenders, um, Kent Reliance, TMLs, there's quite a few of them, that will refinance within six months, as long as you can justify that you've done major works to it. So they will want to see schedule of works, um, costings, invoices, potentially. So they want to see how you've improved that property. And if you can generally show that, then they'll, you don't actually have to wait the sort of six months. So I, I would say to people, look, if you're looking for the, the whole of the market, if you go buy a property on a bridge and you're typically looking to look, well, I want 
all options to refinance to. My good, my, you know, my circumstances are good. I've got good options. I could go to most lenders. And you want to go, then you would, I would always say to someone, factor in probably eight months bridging costs, six months ownership. And then by the time the mortgage goes through and you pay off the bridging, if you factor that in, if you, you know, if someone, we do quite a lot of, on bridging as well as HMO conversions. Some buying a house, turn it into a HMO. And that, again, that's, it's structural alterations. We can then refinance them within six months as well. Yeah. And, you know, with the kind of talk of recession looming and doing a development project that, you know, you're looking at the exit in eight, nine, 12 months time, um, are people looking more towards this bridge to let product where you get the bridge, but you've got that guaranteed exit of a mortgage at the end? I think, yeah, I think it will come. It's been one of these products where some of the lenders have, you know, started to offer it. It's been out there in the market. Um, most of my clients have actually gone towards, well, actually, I'm better off because, what I'm, you know, a lot of those bridge lets, they want you to do the work within three months and then take up the buy to let. You know, mm-hmm. some of the bigger projects, you can't do that. No. So most of my clients have gone, you know what, I'm doing this on a separate process. Right. I believe bridge to let will probably, with the market, with that little bit of uncertainty, I think a lot of people may start go, yeah, actually, I want a bit more of that certainty. And I'll look at those sort of projects instead. So with that one, uh, they can opt for, opt for the bridge to let. So they've got that guarantee in the background, that certainty that they've got a mortgage product at the end. It might not be valued as much as it would have been on the open market let's say but no i think you that's right you tend to find they're they're a little bit more conservative on valuations but you've got the option to do that so even if you um opt for that product you could could you still change your mind at the end or you kind of tied in from day one some of the lenders will some will let you just carry on and you could change your mind not take up the it all depends on the lender really right okay okay great and uh you mentioned before about hmos so for people who are looking to get their first hmo and they um they don't have any other property you know experience what's the situation at the moment for that you know like if they're you know they don't have that experience as a landlord yeah um the majority of HMO lenders require you to have experience yep. and it varies from six to 12 months, 12 months lessings experience. There are, but there are still options. Someone like Kemp Reliance, as long as you're a property owner, they will allow you to do a HMO up to six bedrooms. Right. So there are still options there. Um, foundation, uh, they just want you to be a um, ha- own another property, but there isn't the sort of, again, the 12 months lettings experience. So, what we tend to find, Kemp Reliance have always been very, very strong in that market of for first-time HMO landlords as such. Um, they've always been quite comfortable with that. And it's a lot where people go, you know, it's a big go-to lender for a lot of people. And they're very strong in the market. That's, yeah. you know, that's their sort of area. Um, so, so it is, not, yeah, it is possible. I guess it's just higher rates, right? Yeah, yeah, slightly higher rates. That's, yeah. again, slightly higher rates. But generally on the HMOs, again, you can... You know they can cover the rental quite well. You've got the rental returns on them, so it's not it's not crazy rates. We're not talking wow, you're going to pay a few percent more or anything like that. It's okay. they're still you know pretty competitive, just slightly higher. So indicative, just uh, an idea of what that rate might be for. I mean, it, it's a bit of a difficult market at the moment. We were just recently talking about it was around. You've got the a lot of lenders. What we got current situation with the specialist lenders is. They've been really, really struggling with service and service standards. 
Um, So a lot of what we found is one savings bank, which is Precise Mortgages, Kemp Reliance and Interbay, one of the big specialist brands, um, they've been trying to kind of manage service by putting rates up slightly, but still getting loads of business. And what they've had to do is go, right, okay, well, we're going to put in a temporary range of products, which are mostly 85% products on Kemp Reliance. Um, on HMOs, Precise still have some 75% products. but um, And they've just tried to slow things down just to really get in touch. And they, they're in contact with us constantly. They've just got, they said, look, we've got to get rid of some of this backlog of cases. We don't want, there's no point keep piling in new business and then going to people, we're now still, you know, we're 15 days behind. You know, oh, it's, okay. it doesn't help anyone. So it's just a little bit of a, it's a weird sort of situation where we've got a lot, kind of a little bit of a pause in the market where people catch up. Each lender seems to be struggling a little bit with, with, with service standards. So they're all catching up. So, but generally, I mean, on a, um, so Kent Reliance rates normally were, typical sort of rates were around between three and a half and 4% on a HMO at 75%. Um, they've been creeping up a little bit like every lending recently. It'll be just interesting to see where they kind of re- come back into the market. Okay. So you mentioned there about uh, rates creeping up. Um, what's the general feeling in, you know, the lending world <laughs> at the moment? You know, they're getting a bit nervous as well. But what's, I mean, it, 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 it's a strange sort of situation. I mean, the, the rates are creeping up, but the loan to values, I kind of expected thinking, well, if lenders start getting nervous, the first things to kind of go are the higher loan to value products, yeah. you know, the 80, 80, 85% products or the, you know, and it pin it back to 75%. But it doesn't seem to happen like that. They don't seem to be too worried about that side of things. Okay. It's more the, um, it, it's more the actual, how do we control levels of business for service, really? Right. Right. Okay. And um, the other area that people are interested in is, of course, serviced accommodation. And there's a lot of questions around, well, you know, what is the market like? How, you know, uh, how open are the lenders? Now you've got the specialist lenders versus just regular high street. But do you want to touch on? uh, Yeah, certainly. You've got two different types of sort of um, sort of short term let, service accommodation, holiday let or whatever, you know, different terminology. But Mm -hmm under the same sort of guys, really. You've got two different types of lenders. You've got the more the so specialist holiday let lenders where they're looking at properties that would be rented for weekly, weekly holiday lets. They're in those sort of areas where, it, you know, the bookings.com, Sykes and all of those would can come up back and say, right, yes, you know, we've got demand for this type of property this is the weekly rental for a low season, mid season, high season, and there's good demand. And then the lenders can assess the holiday let rental income. Um, so you've got those type of lenders. Then you've got the lenders that will do short, more short term lets, more Airbnbs, maybe city centres, different areas where you're more likely to get two nights here, three nights here, weekends, that type of lending. Those lenders will then are still happy to lend. What they will also do, if you want to open out the majority of those sort of specialist short-term lenders, what they basically do is they also assess the property on a single family rental. So they would want the property to have, which likely if it's that type of location, have a demand for single family rental. And also then they'll assess it on the single family rental. So as long as it works on the rental stress tests as a single family rental, 
they give you approval to rent it on a short-term let basis. So they're basically covering their bases. So if someone decides, you know what, actually, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I don't want to do the short-term lets. It's a little bit more, you know, there's a lot behind it, they'll work. Um, and they want to just put a tenant in there. The property still works within someone's portfolio as a single family rental. Right. And what if somebody wants to do a property up, they purchase it in order to make it into a short-term let and they're looking to refinance it on that product? Um, do you need to provide, you know, uh, like just paperwork to prove that it's just going to be a, um, a service accommodation or? Um, no, not generally. I mean, as long as, they say the key thing there, if you're going down that sort of specialist route is, they're gonna they, their key driver is what is the single family rental what's right. that going to be as long as that works there's demand as that then they'll just they automatically let you have and it's only if you're going down the the holiday let rental weekly rental that they're going to want specialist valuers or specialist agents giving rental figures for low mid and high seasons Right. And could you, do, are they going to value it on, you know, as a business on a um, commercial rate at all? As a generally not, they're, all those sort of lenders are looking at sort of houses. They're right, looking okay. at standard properties, either a single flat, single house. As soon as you get into the multi-units, say if you're looking at um, a block of flats and all going to be serviced accommodation under one, then you're into the commercial world. Right, like a B&B um, or something. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And then they're looking, the tricky bit there is they're always wanting, it's, they want to establish business Traffic to work out what's the rent, what's your income for this business, and then yeah. we can look at the property. And then a lot of people will say, "Well, I want to set it up first. And yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's a real tricky one that side of things, really. Yeah. Fair. But it is possible, I guess. You yeah. just put your case forward and and exactly, yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. And worst case, would you take it on a bridge for six months while you get that track record up and running, and then? I mean, it's a difficult one. I would always say a lot, a lot of people, um, if you're going and turning something into commercial asset and you're going to want to get it with a commercial bank, even a sort of six to 12 month bridge is, is riskier because yeah. the timeline, commercial lending does take longer. Right. They might turn around and go, actually, we want a 12 month track record on this or, you know, sometimes two year yeah. track record. So a lot of people use their own sort of cash, family finance, whatever, just to get it all set up and then look to refinance. Okay. Bridging alone is, you, you haven't got that set sort of, right, okay, after six months, we're going to apply for a mortgage on this, a commercial mortgage, because you don't know at that stage. Whereas, right. you know, a little bit more. So where, <coughs> so whereas um, with a single family rental, uh, or with a, like a single property that you're going to turn into service accommodation, short-term Airbnb, you know the exits and when you can refinance to those lenders. Yeah. So for some people, it might be going to a private investor to to get everything set up and then getting on the right product once they've got that. Yeah, the commercial side of things. Yeah, get, a, lot, a lot of clients that I've done that sort of into the commercial world have used just their own sort of cash family, you know, family money and then done it that way. Perfect. And while we're on valuations, how, you know, <laughs> how's that looking? It's always a contentious issue, isn't it? With like what it is. Yeah. How a value is. And, and, and it's they've it's difficult for them because they're acting for the lender. They're not acting for us as the uh, the owner. So it's a, a balance. I think people miss the fact that 
you know, it's got nothing to do with the open market value if they were selling it. It's more to do with if the bank needed to repossess. Is that correct? What would they sell it for? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. It's always looking on that side of things. Um, I found we went for a phase a little while ago, probably you know, a few months ago, nearly more that the sort of baby vitalettes were very difficult to value. You know, the market was maybe stronger, so they were selling higher, but lenders were saying, valuers were kind of saying, you got the feeling they're kind of saying, is that sustainable? Yeah. Um, and we were getting quite a lot of, you know, okay, clients had comparables at higher figures of recent sales because the market was really buoyant, but valuers were going, it's not worth that. We don't want to put that for a mortgage valuation. So it was a very difficult, so we, we found a lot of that. But, I mean, it, it's very, very sort of difficult to say valuations. You go through phases where lots of down valuations. Um, then it depends on areas, valuers, um, types of property, like I was saying, and different locations and things. But um, at the moment, I, touch wood, I haven't had too many major issues, to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah, it's, it hasn't, hasn't been too much of a problem. And the big question I always get asked is about HMO valuation. So someone's looking to purchase a property, whether it's HMO or not at the beginning, uh, do the works and then get it revalued um, once they've done all the refurbishment. And yep. how do they work out what that NGDV is? Because, you know, that data of the refinance um, numbers aren't, you know, they're not published anywhere. So how do people, what's a safe bet for people to kind of work out uh, what that end GDV number is? Um, the, the key thing when you're looking at sort of HMO valuations is ultimately the way the lenders will look at it, it depends on what you're turning this into. Um, what they tend to go as a guide, of, if it's not an Article 4 area, obviously it was already a HMO, but if it's, a, if it's anything up to a five, six bed HMO with a mainstream HMO lenders, they're going to value it on a, vacant possession, bricks and mortar bases as much as they can. That's right. what they will send the valuer to do. There's key difference between, then you've got some of the, like the likes of Shawbrook on a six bed HMO. What they say is, okay, well, if the property's been altered enough that, say it's got all on suites and it's more a likely to be an investment property if it was ever, and it's always the key back to this, like we are talking about, Ultimately, a lender and the valuers are trying to assess if we repossess this property, what would we sell this for? What would it actually, are we selling it as back as a normal house? Because actually it's a HMO in a road where there's all residential houses and likelihood is if that property came on the market, even with small suites, it'd probably be sold back as a residential house. Um, then it's got a residential value as well, you know. So, but if it's a property where it clearly would only ever be a HMO, then you've got these two types. You've got like a hybrid valuation where the valuers say, well, okay, they recognise there's a cost to doing this. So say if someone's bought a property, they've turned it into a six-bed HMO or on suites, the, there is likes of Shawbrook will say, well, subject to the valuer looking at it, if their valuer is happy, they, can, they, they understand there's a premium. If someone wants to buy that property, there'll be a premium that they would pay because it's already been gone. Someone's already done all that work and turned it into a licensed HMO. Yeah. But it's not a rental yield basis because it's still ultimately still a house. But then when you turn into the bigger HMOs or commercial buildings that are mixed, I've done, you know, 
where they've been. I did a property where it was sort of multiple HMO flats in there. There were some studio flats. There was one bedroom flats all under one freehold. That's an investment property. Then that's rental yield based. Um, and it's down to the valuer to assess in that area. It's quite a minefield, to be honest with you. It's very mm. difficult to get. You know, a lot of people think, oh, is there, is there just a straight calculation? And yeah. there never is. And it all depends. And I've had this before, different sort of situations where in the same area, same type of property over a period of a year with a commercial valuation, the value differently. And value as well, actually, because there's far more availability of rooms in that area now than when I last valued with the other one, that the rental yield basis, the rent actually are slightly lower. So that I'm using, working on a, a greater sort of vacancy basis and so actually it's a lower valuation. So there's so many, it's a, it is a bit of a minefield to be honest. It's a potluck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, so I guess people just need to be conservative on their figures then. I think so. That's the key thing. Um, I would say to people, look, start, start. I know it's difficult, but look, if you're starting on a vacant possession basis or right. um, you, you know where worst case scenario you, you are kind of going to be. Right. Okay. And you mentioned before about Article 4 area. So in the lender's eyes, uh, even a like a three or four bed or five bed HMO, are they value, would they value that higher just because it's in an Article 4 area? It depends where you want to go. You can go to the, with something like that, you could go to like the commercial semi, you know, the more challenger banks, um, Shawbrooks and that, and then they would look at commercial valuation because Article 4 area. Right. The, the, the specialist HMO lenders would still look at it, but they're going to typically value it as a, as a house still, vacant possession, but you get better rates. Whereas mm. the, the more specialist challenger banks, uh, commercial rates are a little bit higher. Right. But you're like, more likely to get a better valuation. So it's right. a way up okay. on those side of things. That's a good point. Okay. And um, so what else is kind of happening in the market then that we need to know about at the moment? Anything on the horizon or any trends think, that you can see? Yeah, I think the, the key thing really is around this sort of specialist lending and getting the market, getting the service back together. Um, and then you'll see a lot of the lenders relaunching into the market again. Um, we're finding a lot of people are... I would say to people, a lot of the key thing at the moment, I think, is if you've got a portfolio, is managing it well, keeping an eye on when those rates are ending. A lot of the lenders, you can look at doing things like product transfers, so taking another fixed rate within three months, so locking into another fixed rate while rates are, if they're still going up slightly. Um, some of the more specialist lenders, like Paragon, will look at a product transfer within six months, so if your rate's in six months. So it's it's about management and not, I think people really got to try and avoid if you've already got a portfolio is about going on to variable rates mm. and um, <coughs> the timeline of getting those. I think it's allowing enough time. Lenders are slow. We've got to kind of accept that at the moment. It's just the market. The service is struggling with a lot of these. So things are taking longer. So don't think, you know, OK, well, my rates ending 1st of August. Oh, actually, it's you know a week before. I better sort that out now. You know, it's you've you've got to leave as much time as possible. I would say minimum sort of three months. Flag it, review it, look at options, and go from there. Really, because you can uh, set up a new product and then lock that rate in for three months. Before, you can with different. Yeah, each lender has kind of different rules and different ways of doing it. Some are a little bit less, some are a little bit more. But yeah, there's lots of things you can do. But it's it's just I generally use the sort of three month 
line as a kind of a starting point, really, from there. Um, do you find, sorry, do you find people are uh, locking in for like five years at the moment? Or We're doing a lot of five-year fixed. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people are now locking in for five-year fixed. And generally, it seems in the market, the actual five-year fixed money is cheaper than two-year fixed money yeah. at the moment with a lot of the lenders. So, yeah, five years is very popular. Um, we're also finding fees for um, the early redemption charges are they you know kind of higher at the moment or just pretty standard? They're pretty standard, yeah, yeah. So they would tie you in for the full five five years. So as long as you, you know, you it's an established property, maybe you pulled your money out and you just actually want to just keep it as part of your portfolio, yeah, it's you know, it's a a good option. I, I suppose the key thing that's if you've got an existing portfolio. The other thing I'd say in the market is, again, if you're starting out, I want to start out, is preparation and allowing time. Things aren't going to happen really, really quickly at the moment. You know, every lender, even if you put in an application, and I suppose it's about realistic timescales with agents being realistic. Them, If you say, to them, oh, yeah, we're going to complete in two, three weeks or a month, ultimately that's cash or bridging at the yeah. moment because you're never going to get a mortgage lender to turn it around in that timescale. And I say there may be one or two, you know, but generally, you know, so you, you've got, you know, it, it's around realistic, being realistic on time. So what would you say realistically? Three, I'm finding four. generally it's it's about sort of six to eight weeks as right. a processing time at the moment. Okay, that's yeah, not too bad. Uh, and, it, you know, uh, just to move on to further, um, like the refinancing products or uh, further advances or you know just different products with equity release uh around you know once if people want to draw out more money um, yep. how's that looking at the moment with this i know there's lots of different options and different ways of doing that equity release or um refinancing do you want to touch on yeah yeah i mean most most of the sort of the you've got the mainstream personal lenders tmws Birmingham midshires coventry's all the big you know big buy select players will let you apply for a further advance uh, as long as you owned it for six months, if you know, so if you want to say, actually, I'm tied in for another two years, but I want to borrow some more money in it, there's quite a lot of equity in it, you can apply for a further advance and draw more money out. If you're coming towards the end of your fixed rate, that's the time to review, do I do what would be a product transfer and a further advance with your existing lender, or is it better to look at what's out there in the whole market? Because there's a lot of options with free valuations, free legal remortgage service, um so you can you know keep your costs down quite considerably so it's just weighing up both sort of options from there really great and finally for people who are you know there's there's more and more people obviously finding out about the property education world and what is possible a lot of people do want to work with private investors and joint ventures with uh, you know purchasing products is it just still the case that if somebody wants to buy a property with uh you know with somebody else as a joint venture that they would have to go down the bridging route they would generally yeah if they're going down that route, it all depends on the project and what they're trying to do if it's a flip and they're looking to do a bridge a lot of people you know if they they've been advised by their accountants to set up a, you know a company jointly to do it you can look at doing things like that it's it would be about taking some individual advice if you're looking at depend on the project i would say just discuss it with broker discuss it with us more than happy and see what what you're trying to achieve and what the project is and speak to, again, it's then tax advice and working out what's the best way of structuring that deal. Okay. So if people want to find out more about yourselves and, you know, get a free 
consultation call and I know you offer one up front as part of uh, your sponsorship with YPN um, what are the next steps for people then? Um, next steps would be you can either contact me or any of the guys through the office um, main office we the website is trafalgarsq.co.uk all the contact details are there all of our email addresses you can also make an online inquiry um, so yes give us a call uh, my details are all on, on the actual website as well. My mobile, you can always give me a call on the mobile. More than happy to discuss anything. Or again, there's email addresses all on the website. Drop us an email and we'll go from there for you. Perfect. Well, I'll put those links in the show notes as well. And um, we can encourage people to just, you know, just have a chat and see you know what's out there what's what products are available and uh as you say everyone's situation is unique so uh, although there are example rates that you know everyone's going to be different every project's going to be different so best to just have a chat first yeah definitely great well thank you so much for your time today Stuart. it's been really interesting uh just getting a you know our finger on the pulse of what's going on in the market no problem at all thank you very much Thank you. And for anyone who is not yet a subscriber to the magazine, please click the link in the show notes for your free 30-day trial. See you next time. Thank you.
Oh, 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 oh,